You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Well, good morning, church. How are y'all feeling this morning? Fantastic. Hey, go ahead and turn your Bibles with me. We're going to be in a couple different places this morning. We will get to Genesis 1. Before we do that, we're going to go to Genesis, or excuse, me, excuse me, Romans chapter 1. So if you go ahead and have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have a copy of God's Word in the back. If you'll lift your hand, one of our ushers will bring one to you. We, we want you to be in the Word with us this morning. So as you can tell, we're in this sermon series that we call At the Movies. And what the purpose of At the Movies is, is... Uh, if you examine Jesus' ministry, a lot of times what Jesus did when he was teaching is he would take normal everyday activities or things that people were aware of and he would use those things as illustrations to teach his truths. And so at the movies is similar for us. We take normal everyday movies. Most of us love movies. We watch them. We invest a lot of time and resources into these things. And so we take these movies that many of us watch. They're uh, popular movies, this movie right here, I think broke uh, sales records at one point, and we look at some of the truths that they're teaching, and then we compare them to the truths of God. And so, uh, as you saw earlier, we are in week two, Avatar, Way of Water. Raise your hand if you've seen this movie, okay? It's about three and a half hours long, so, you know, good luck with that for those that haven't. Uh, it's okay uh, if you want my movie critic uh, review. It is on Disney Plus, so if you like streaming movies and you got a good, comfortable couch, uh, you know, have at it. Uh, let me summarize the movie for you really quickly with no spoilers. So, uh, if you haven't seen the first movie, this isn't going to make any sense to you at all. But um, essentially, uh, there's, you know, humans have destroyed Earth and they need other resources. So, we travel the galaxy. We find ourselves on this planet called Pandora. Uh, taking the resources from them to help better ourselves, and obviously there's uh, indigenous people on this planet, and so we begin to uh, kind of take from them, and in doing so, uh, put them out of their home and put them in, in difficult situations. They've got some sort of a thing where humans can become this blue character that you saw, hence the name Avatar, you can become, this can be your avatar, I guess. And one of the main characters, a guy named Jake Sully, ends up falling in love with a blue person, and he becomes a blue person, and that's where you're in movie now, too. And really, the summary of this movie has nothing to do with my sermon. This is just for fun for you. Um, the whole purpose of the second movie is to kind of uh, show the resilience of people. There's a lot of smaller truths that you can find throughout this movie. I actually watched a couple of documentaries about this second movie in preparation for today because uh, like any movie, I don't know if you know this or not, but when they, they sit around in, in a room and they formulate a movie, they ask the question, what is this movie teaching? I don't know if you know this or not, but when you watch a movie, it wasn't just for your entertainment. They're always looking to teach you something. In this movie specifically, they started talking about evolution. They started talking about some of the things. Even the director said, every character in mind, I wanted them to have the kind of neo-Darwinistic evolution theory involved in their makeup. How would they have looked after millions or billions of years? They even go into some of these great detail of what these characters would look like. 
Now again, there's some really positive things in this movie. You can talk about the value of family, but there's some other harmful things in this movie where they talk about pantheistic religions. If you don't know what pantheistic religion is, it's, it's this idea kind of like Mother Nature where the being, God, is involved kind of in everything where they're all interconnected in some way, shape, or form. God doesn't necessarily have a physical presence, but is find, they find their, their God in whatever they look like and whatever they are. And so when one thing dies, it's the circle of life, the Lion King kind of motif there. And so we get around to this movie and we start looking deeper into everything that it is teaching us. And I could not get past this point of uh, the idea that they were really having this, this discussion uh, right in front of us for three and a half hours, for those of you who stayed awake, uh, of kind of evolution and and religion, and I go back to our world, and I got to this tension, uh, this, this place where I, I start looking around uh, the, the motifs and the popular things happening, and I, I can't help but think how the next generation in so many ways has written off the idea of creationism altogether. They, they kind of, you know, swallowed the pill that science has quote-unquote won and evolution is correct. And so my aim this morning is to, number one, tell you they're wrong, and number two, show you why they're wrong in a couple of different methods. So as I unpack how they're wrong and, and, and make a, what I hope to be a sound you know, argument that creationism is a viable understanding for how the world came to be, I ultimately want to show you how a, a belief in evolution, meaning there, there isn't any, some, some being who has created us and set us in motion, how that can play out in some different moral or ethical failures in our world, and then ultimately point you, what I would hope every time I preach, to the cross. And so I, I, I want to tell you, uh, when Kaylee mentioned earlier, we're going to get into some deep stuff, uh, you know, we're in a movie about water, so we're going to go the deep end, so hopefully you've all passed your swimming test, so um, we're going to go there. As I was reading reviews, one of the authors uh, who, who was writing about this movie and the Christian worldview, he says this, his name is Andrew Sibley. He says, there's a fundamental difference between the pantheistic worldview portrayed in this film and that of biblical Christianity. Christian believers come to know and worship God as Father, the one who is the creator and sustainer of all things. As I mentioned earlier, we, we live in this culture that doesn't believe, for the most part, that the Bible can stand against the weight of science. Many believe that science has made the irrefutable argument that evolution is the answer to our biggest questions. Questions like, where do we come from? Science has answered that for us, is what the world would like to teach you. They also answer the question of, what is our purpose? Because if you tell me where I came from, you are implying what my purpose is. Are you not? And so science, they believe, many would say that this is the answer to our question. Just look to evolution and the Big Bang. But what we need to know is when we start answering these questions with anything but the truth, we will see side effects of skewed understandings which lead to flawed fundamental errors in the everyday. Is anybody else cold in here? Okay. Can somebody just like crank it up one degree? Because if I'm cold on this stage, I know y'all are cold out there. Um, so sorry to, you can cut that out of the sermon clip later. I'm up here like got chills and I'm like, man, it's, I'm a big dude. Anyway, so 
Let me say that again. When we start answering these types of questions, meaning like questions of like, where do we come from? What is our purpose? And we start answering them with anything but the truth. We will see the effects of skewed understandings which lead to flawed fundamental errors in the everyday. Now, I want to make sure that you stay with me. I need you to lean in with me for at least the next eight minutes because if you don't, what you're going to catch is one of those YouTube clips that really makes this pastor sound like a bigot or some idiot. And I'm not either one of those things, hopefully. And so lean in with me. Don't lose me. Stay right here, okay? The Christian world, I want to give you an example of one of these flawed fundamental errors coming from. The Christian world is shocked and appalled that so many people would indoctrinate our next generation of kids, our brainwashed people with teachings that don't line up with the Bible. You can go down the list of what some of these teachings would be. You can start, you could go to CRT. You could go to the LGBTQ plus A, whatever all the other acronyms are, and you could start looking at the way these things are taught. We're in the middle of Pride Month, in case you didn't know that. Our government has 100% said, hey, we are for these people in so many different expressive ways, as if somebody would be against those people. But our government has said, hey, we are for anybody who represents themselves as LGBTQ+. And many of us, if we're truthful, are appalled at how so many people could look to teach children, children who aren't even talking about sex, they're not thinking about sex, but somehow we should make sure that our first graders, our 4K kids, our third graders understand sex and do they want it with their same gender? Do they want even to recognize as a gender? And we look at this and go, how could you do this? This is crazy. This is ridiculous. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. But what I want to point out to you is that these are merely, my opinion, symptoms or results of answering life's biggest questions from a place outside of a biblical perspective. Okay? That's where it starts. So I don't need you to leave here. I never, ever want to see anybody who would call themselves a Christian holding a sign saying homosexuals are going to hell. Because you know what? So are liars, so are you outside of Christ. So you can fix the homosexual issue and you still go to hell. So stop pointing out people's individual sins. And let's just tell every single person that we're all sinners. And outside of Christ, we go to hell. Okay? That's what we need to take a stance. And stop looking at the individual and start looking at all of us as a culture and go, we have been separated from God by our sin individually. And the only way to reckon that, reconcile that is to repent and believe. Okay? So, when we look at this issue of like LGBTQ plus in our community and how they're indoctrinating children, where does something like this come from based off those big questions, Chris? How, how do we get back to this idea of creationism? Well, let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Because I believe this is where the first answer is going to come from. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So right here, in the very first verse of Paul's kind of doctoral thesis of theology, this is a, a heavy book, 
He's saying that every single person in this world can see to a degree that God exists. Not necessarily Yahweh, Elohim, Jesus, the Trinitarian Lord, but you can look out in creation and go, wow, I don't think all of this stuff just happened, right? There was some way, shape, or form, we use platonic words, that there was a prime mover in all of this. Something, someone, something had to start this thing. We didn't just come to be. Continue on. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. So, talking about how you can, you can really see God in creation. And then he goes into creation. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So Paul, right here, says creation. Not evolution, not Big Bang. He points back to Genesis. That creation did happen. This is a thing. And because it did happen, and because God has made himself plain to all people through his creation, he says they are without excuse. Meaning they are without excuse to know of God. Because he goes on to say, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory. If you remember last week, we talked about the glory of God. It's this idea of all of God's character. If you could take his intrinsic value of who he was, this weighty thing of who God is, and you could put it on a scale, and you could look at the scale, and you would see the infinite ability of his character, this would be what glory represents. They exchanged the gloriousness of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I want to pause right there. When you see these images, do not think that that can't be something else that we created. Don't think that that just has to be kind of this uh, almost tribal God. This, this could be a belief. This could be a love. This could be a relationship. This is any idol that you have put in the place of God. Spurgeon calls us idol factories. We, we are people who create idols on a regular basis, meaning anyone who supplants God and puts something where God should be, that is now an idol. And so when Paul is talking here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we create these images replacing God, don't get fixated on like a wooden image, okay? That eight minutes isn't up yet, so keep leaning in, all right? Therefore, and this is where it really comes to play because I need you to understand that I think what Paul is about to say here means more than just what he's going to. Therefore, because they exchanged God's glory for their idols, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Let me, let me pause there. I'm, I'm going to sneak ahead because I don't want to lose you in the middle of reading this. I am not saying that if you have a belief, and I don't think Paul is saying this either, 
anything other than creationism, you will automatically be a homosexual. That is not what this, this is not, that's not going there. He's giving us one example of when you do not have a fundamental belief of who God is, sin comes out, okay? Now, he's going to reveal some specific sins, specifically writing to the Roman people, okay? So don't, don't lose me there, okay? So for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. You see all those other things? Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, spiritual death, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And if you were to break that down, go back like we just read, what did he say? When you deny the creator and creation, what happens? You begin to create all of these idols in your life, and you see the sins. Not only do you see them, but you get involved in the sins. And once you get involved in the sins, then you support the sins to others. Do you see this? I would argue that our belief in how this world came to be and how it is held together directly connects to our morality, our ethical compass, and our willingness to be open to a higher power. When we read Genesis chapter 1, unfortunately, I think many today, hopefully none in this room, but maybe, maybe you today, read it much more as a bedtime story than a historical account. Because science has disproven it. Because when you turn on that National Geographic TV show and they tell you that the world is billions of years old and then you read that God created it in seven days and that was only approximately like 6,000 years ago, you lean to go, well, there's, you know, evidence in science. There's observation. There's the scientific method. There's fact here. This is, this is just kind of... You know, Genesis was written as just kind of fable. Well, that's, there's several problems wrong with that, and hopefully we'll get to that by the end of my time. Listen, it's appalling what people are teaching today. What children, uh, what children are being taught as normal. My eight minutes are still going. We're almost there. The total dismissal of God is shocking. But here's, here's the biggest point the application when we get to the end of the sermon, we cannot have a hard heart toward people who hold views against the Lord. But we can also not budge on our foundational teachings. We must understand that what has happened to these people is that Satan has sold them a lie and they have bought it. And that should not anger us, it should break us. It should soften our hearts in such a way to go, how can we love them more? 
How can we show them the truth that we have seen by the Creator in His creation through Christ that there is a much better way than to believe what you think is fact. There is a much better way than to be absolved of all pressures of this world and just give in to sin. There is a much better way. And this is important. Because listen, there, there are children there are high school students right now that they are having an internal monologue of asking the question of whether it's better for them to kill themselves or to stay in the closet because their families won't have anything to do with them if they come out of the closet. And I don't know about you, but I would really like to build a place in my house where no matter what my children go through, they can at least talk to me about it rather than take their life. I'm not saying I'm always going to agree with the things that they do, or the things that they say, but I would much rather them talk to me and have a place where they feel like they can have a conversation with me than just go, it's better to just kill myself. We need to be a church, a people of love. Jesus said that they will know us by our love, and here's how I think love plays out in this type of situation. Love doesn't dismiss sin but it also doesn't dismiss the person, right? When there's, there's people around us that are living in sin, and we don't dismiss the sin, but we don't dismiss the person either because they have the image of God just as you do. So that, that's one way I see how having a, a broken understanding of how all of this came to be can kind of play out. So how do we resolve this issue? Again, the topic of this sermon today is not the symptomatic issues that come from the belief that God can exist, but it's rather the topic of creation. So I don't want you to get lost and, wow, pastor talked about, you know, homosexuals during, you know, Pride Month or whatever. My, my hope is that you'll see at the end of this that there is a valid argue for creationism and that that argument will point us to Jesus and then Jesus will ultimately point us to redemption and restoration and we as a people who gather to scatter to make him known. And you can walk in that truth, okay? So, I, I don't know if you know this or not, am not that intelligent. So, what I have is about a nine-minute video that I want to show you really quickly. From biologists, from lead PhD people all across the world that are going to, in nine minutes, kind of unpack the farce that science has won and that Darwinism uh, is a... Uh, an amazing theory, and they will hopefully put into perspective that creationism can and is a valid system of belief. Also, they are going to talk about this idea, I want to make sure that you understand this phrase, uh, in theistic evolution. So there are believers out there today who have both tried to uh, stay true to the Bible while also saying, oh yeah, yeah, science, science, science. And so what they've done is they've gone, well, I do believe God created everything, but then he allowed evolution to take place. And they're going to dismiss that as well. Um, and I, I don't know if they explicitly say this, so I, I will really quickly. You can't have both. In case you're sitting there and going, oh, I do believe in evolution, here, here's why you can't. Because God said specifically how he made this world. He put a time on it. When he says day, he uses the Hebrew word yom. That same word is found throughout the Old Testament several times, hundreds of times. 
And it is never used in like a proverbial term. It is a literal day. There are other words they could have used for day that was kind of proverbial term, and yom is not it. And so when he says, on the first yom, let there be light, on the first, on the seventh yom I rested, and all these things, right? It's a day. So, evolution, day, get it? Okay, watch this nine-minute video. So, uh, hopefully you're still awake, and if you didn't get that, we'll send that video out here uh, a little bit later. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not qualified to go even that deep, uh, so I'm certainly not going to go deeper, but I am going to go to a place that I, th I do think I'm qualified to talk about, and it, it's kind of this, this idea um, that uh, there, there's another way to prove creationism, and, um, you know, I, I think if you were to ask uh, historical scholars, uh, people of high intelligence, very few would dispute the existence of a guy named Jesus of Nazareth, right? Most historians will say, yes, he absolutely existed. Well, once you say, yes, he absolutely existed, you then have to have the conversation, the dialogue, about whether he was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. This is a C.S. Lewis philosophical conversation. So basically, if Jesus did exist, then he was either A, a liar, meaning everything he said can't really be trusted because he said a lot of crazy things, right? Uh, number two, he's a lunatic, meaning he, 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 he might have said some valid things, but he's actually really crazy, so you can't trust him in that way either because he's crazy. Or the third one, everything he said is 100% true, and he is Lord. And so we get to this place of going, all right, who is Jesus? And so that's the question we're going to uh, put, forth, uh, put forward for the rest of the day. Is actually, if, if we trust that Jesus is Lord, what did Jesus say about the Old Testament? And what did Jesus say about creation? Uh, one of my professors at, at Liberty, uh, Harold Wilmington, said this. In summary, our Lord said, this is Jesus, the law would be fulfilled, Matthew 5.18, and the scriptures could not be broken, John 10.35. It has been estimated that over one-tenth of Jesus' recorded New Testament words were taken from the Old Testament. In the four Gospels, 180 of the 1,800 verses that report his discourses are either Old Testament quotes or Old Testament allusions. So what I want to go through really quickly is I have a couple pictures on the screen, and if you want these at the end, I've got some packets down here in front. I've got a couple pictures of some of that professor's work, and if you look at the New Testament quotes on the left, these are where, where, where Jesus is quoted in these Gospels, or specifically in the New Testament, and then the Old Testament passage that he quoted on the, in the middle, and then the historical occasion that he is mentioned uh, during on the right. And you can go through that first slide, and then you can go to the second slide. And these are the events, uh, these are other passages where the events and individuals, individuals excuse me, he, did, he then referred to. And the first one that I want to lean into, and really the only one we're going to talk about in my last few minutes, is the creation story that we find in, in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me very quickly. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm not going to be long. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 6. So you all understand the argument I'm going with, right? So if Jesus, who, who most people uh, in this room would say they believe in Jesus, but if you're having struggles believing in creationism, well, let's look at what Jesus said about, number one, the Old Testament. So this gives us viability and assurance in the Old Testament. But what did he also specifically say about creation? Because if Jesus is Lord, he is God, and he then says something about creation, we should be able to trust what he says about creation, right? Nod your head. Y'all asleep on me? Good. Fantastic. Thank you. Here we go. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 6. Jesus is asked about 
uh, divorce and some of those other things. And, he's, and he quotes back to the people Genesis. He says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So right here, Jesus quotes Genesis 1. Jesus, who is God, by the way, who the Scripture says He holds all things together, in plain speech declares creation. And so the question that I would have for someone debating whether they can believe in creation but really trust in Jesus is, if you can believe in Jesus, why can you also not then believe in creation? Because the person that you believe in not only declared creation, but he is a part of creation. You go to Colossians chapter 1, he is before all things and after all things, and all things are held together through him. So this person of Jesus is the person that we put our faith in. We don't necessarily put our faith in just a moment of time, right? In creation. But we put our faith in Jesus and because Jesus says creation happened and he also puts the authority back in the word because he quotes Old Testament scriptures like those packets that we went through uh, 180 different times. We can have the trust, we can have the authority in our lives to go, hey, this book right here is valid. We can trust it because it is the living, breathing, active word of God, as Paul says to Timothy. So, I don't know if you know this, but Genesis chapter 1 through 11 are some of the most debated chapters in Scripture. People have a hard time believing in the flood. They have a hard time believing in creation. They have a hard time believing in Adam and Eve. And I would point back to this understanding of who Jesus is. I used a word earlier, the irrefutable argument of science. Several years ago, a pastor in Atlanta, a guy named Louis Giglio, came up with another irrefutable, irrefutable argument. And you know what he said it was? Your story. Your story. You know what no one can ever argue with you about? Your experience. Your story. I don't want you to leave here today going, ooh, I, I, I feel battle-tested, ready to debate about creationism. Unless you are a scientist or just way smarter than me, uh, you're probably not going to have that walking out of these rooms, out of this room this morning. But what I do hope that you can have is an understanding that when we trust in Jesus and we walk with him, we see our lives change. He says that you're what? A new creation. M- m- many of you know my story. My, my wife tells people that my story is a miracle because there was a day, B.C., where I was a very different person. And today, after Christ, now walking with Christ for, I don't even want to think about a number of years, a a, a few years, right? My life is vastly different. And it's not because I worked hard and I got all white-knuckled and I quit some of the things I was doing. It's because Jesus took me from death to life. And there is not one thing that you or anybody else in this world can ever tell me to refute that argument. Because it happened. And so I want you to think about your life. Think about your relationship with Jesus. Where have you been before Christ, and where have you gone now since with him? And so when you get into that place of, I don't really know about all the science, you're not going to know. What did did, did the first guy say? Like, God's ways are higher, kind of pointing back to this understanding. You can study it your entire life. Some, Some people go into seminary, and they get their Ph.D., and they go deeper and deeper just to understand more and more and more of this, and they'll get to the end of the road, and they'll go, I know a lot, but there's still a lot to be known. 
That's how big God is. And so if you're sitting in your seat this morning going, well, you know, when, I, when I'm at work and people start talking about evolution or these other things, there is no such thing this side of heaven as a 100% answer that you can write down on a piece of paper that's, you know, that's irrefutable except for your experience with Jesus. Right? There's always going to be some other argument that somebody's going to come up with. There's going to be some way to kind of dispute this. There will be scientists who watch that video who are for Darwinism. They go, oh, those guys are wrong. There's no way. They, they, they took this out of context. They took that out of context. When you watch Bill Nye the Science Guy, which how did this guy get a platform? But, you know, debate somebody else, like a guy named Ken Ham. Like, they're both going to have cogent, very valid arguments. You're going to see guys like Richard Dawkins debating other well-known theological sound, theologically sound professors, and both of them will have very solid arguments. And so the question that I have for you today is the question of creation versus evolution bigger than the question of your faith in Jesus? Because that's really where it all comes from. And so when we talked about the symptoms of not believing in creation, you can see it in some of the systematic ways that this world teaches things. Right, the broken things of this world, I want you to not lean on the system of the world, but lean back onto Jesus and remember that the best way to share the truth is to share it in love. John 13.35 says, By this, all people, this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What's the this? If you have love for one another. The way that we care for each other will reveal the theology, of our, the theology of our hearts and ultimately give us the opportunity to share why we can love that way. When you get into the science stuff, it's very easy to get to this place where we can debate somebody and try to prove to them our way. And I would strongly discourage you to do that. Am I discouraging you to have a conversation? Not at all. Have those conversations. But it's kind of like a conversation in a relationship. When you walk into it, is your only hope to win the conversation or is your hope to win the relationship? The hope should be to win the relationship. Because when we win the relationship with the person and they see our heart for Jesus and they see that we, we hear their way, we just know a better one, and then they watch us walk in love through difficult times, I believe that that conversation of creation and evolution will go down. And the conversation that will come up is, who is this Jesus that has changed your life? That's the conversation we need to be having. Let's pray. God, I, 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 uh, I ask that as a lot of things were said this morning and a lot of points were, were made, Lord, help us to stay focused on, on what you, you would have us see. And I believe that is you are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, you erase our sins. If everyone who comes and repents and believes in you, we can have eternal life and we become new creations. As we talked about last week, not just a new creation for a future time, but today we can live in abundance. So as we live in a world where there's brokenness around, and it can be very frustrating. It can cause us to be very angry. Help us to see the broken people as people that you're looking to redeem. 
rather than people that you're looking to cast out. Help us to, to share love with them as you shared love with us while we were still far from you. It's in your son's name I pray. And God's people said.